Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. And this week we have our first special guest, which is so exciting. Ade is a very lovely colleague of mine at DebateMate, which is where we met. And he is an incredible uh, public speaker and debater. Thank you. Um, and the compliments from already starting. He went to Nottingham University and he read philosophy and economics, which is super interesting. Great combination. And um, you are now senior program director at DebateMate yep. and started and now run Debate Box. Can we please explain for anyone who doesn't know what is DebateMate and what is Debate Box? Are they? Yeah. So I can explain, <laughs> I can explain both of them. So DebateMate was set up uh, 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it's a charity and our aim is to improve and get rid of the problem of social immobility in the UK. And the vehicle we use to do this and achieve this is through debating um, and that's, that's how me and Georgia met. Um, and so what we do is effectively we send university students, young relatable university students, mm-hmm. into schools across the UK mm-hmm. um, and they teach debating on a weekly basis and at the end of the year uh, all those students come to a competition and debate against each other and it's a massive event, these huge uh, debate make cups. Um, and then debate box is an offshoot of debate mate um, and mm-hmm. the the idea came about because the people uh, who were working on debate mate at the time said well look we're getting to the students who are like I'm going to come after school and do this debating class which is a student who needs help mm-hmm. but also we weren't reaching the student who's like I'm not going to go after school yeah. and mm-hmm. invest in you know something to increase mm-hmm. my skills and, and and get better at school and so that's where debate box and was born it's this idea of reaching the hardest to engage students and it's during school time yeah oh no um debate box happens during school time and after school time okay Um, after school um it's not it doesn't um define between um during and after school okay um but i think debate box is massively um, like exciting because it uses the sport of boxing which is so enchanting so exciting so popular so uh so loved so cool and so you know even if you're a year nine student, you're going to be yeah. like, oh, you know, I want to get involved in that because, yeah. you know, mm. I can box, I can learn to box, I can mm. learn to box. Even if you don't yeah. like debating. Oh, yeah. And you're like training them in how to box as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's as literal as it sounds. So yeah. the students will do an hour of debating um, and then they'll follow that with an hour of boxing. So um, and then when they eventually do compete against each other, you have four on four. And the first speaker for the proposition or the side that's for versus the first speaker for the side on opposition that's against. And they do a speech for a minute and then they box each other for a minute. <laughs> so it's fantastic. It's so as literal cool. as it sounds. It's, it's so, that's so, cool. so good. It's also really, the thing I love about boxing is it's, it's also just very achievable as in anyone can start Absolutely. at any time. You 100%. can just learn and get better and you can mark that. Especially when you think of kids who may not want to do just a box just debating yeah. but there actually will be yeah. very much drawn into it through boxing which is really cool yeah really cool yeah definitely and I, I always thought like I played loads of sports um, growing up mm. and boxing I, I could say is the hardest one mm. so far so the thing you say about uh, anyone can do it is mm. you can anyone can test themselves by yeah. trying to do a boxing oh yeah. definitely definitely yeah, it's very hard it is. Yeah. No, it is it's so hard I it had that so uni hard. actually because lots of unis have done um, like fight night and yeah, yeah. that has yeah. become a big kind of charity fundraiser and those of my friends who I never thought would have done boxing <laughs> yeah. have got into it and yeah. they've done really really well yeah. and they love the training of it and just learn a completely new skill yeah. and then raise those money for charity mm-hmm. at the same time yeah 100% mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's so it's one of the most mindful things I can ever do for myself. I know that sounds really weird, but when I'm boxing, all I'm thinking about 
Do you find it really meditative? So meditative. Interesting. Yeah. And also really good anger management. (laughs) 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 No, I'm not necessarily really angry, but it's just it's a really healthy way of like being aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, right? I completely agree with you, yeah, Georgia. Like, yeah. I think any time I've competed, like in a competitive environment, and mm. there's been an audience, the sort of my conscious registering of okay, this is these are these are the people in the room completely goes. Everything gets blacked out, and then it becomes yeah. you and one other person mm. in the ring, and you sort of almost zone out from the world and the census, um, the sensory things around you. As we always do every week on the figure, I'm going to ask you first. What has this week meant to you? Um, there's only one answer. <laughs> there is a right answer. England, I'm the seventh final of the World Cup. It's been so long since I've been happy about the England team. It's, it's, it's mad. I, I, like, it's, it's gotten so bad that I stopped caring about the England team. Genuinely, yeah. I just didn't care. I just didn't care. Like, all right, they I might go to the World Cup. They might not. World Cup, he really was just like... Yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, it'll yeah. happen, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I supported... Um, my ethnic or like country Nigeria mm-hmm. more than I support England for this. <laughs> but now they're doing well. Yeah. I'm going to switch my allegiance yeah. <laughs> to nice. England. It's like my <laughs> backup team were eliminated before England, so I'm also in the England camp now. Wait, you, who are your backup team? Guys, I don't oh, have yeah, a country. <laughs> Scotland didn't even make <laughs> it through. <laughs> you're English, you're English too. Yeah, I am, but Scotland, England is still like a Big. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's true. Like, That's true. Rugby, I'll always be supporting yeah. Scotland. So I'm, um, I'm obviously super happy for England doing amazingly, but I'm not anywhere near as excited as Georgia. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I am excited. So Charlotte, what has this week meant to you? I think that's the first time you've called me Charlotte rather than Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is. But it feels weird. It does feel a bit weird. Um, this week has definitely been um, all about pride mm. for me. I've never been to the parade before, so that was really fun. It was really fun. And we got in our rainbow gear, and I just loved being a part of it and being part of the celebration. I think for me, what well, the best part of pride was, was seeing army, navy, NHS. Yeah. Uh, who else? Fire... fire Brigade, mm-hmm. um, loads of obviously big banks. I think it was a really powerful. I don't think that would have happened like, five years ago. Like it was a coming <laughs> yeah. together of lots of people. Yeah, yeah. And it was just really special, and it was gorgeously sunny yeah. as well, which it was yeah. beautiful. Right. Felt like a festival. I, I'm the same yeah. actually. That I've never been to Bride still, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of am jealous of you in the sense that when Georgia says you see all of these people in their element, like the army and all yeah. this sort of thing, and then all of these different organisations being like, look, where we support Supporting this, it. Mm. It, you, you, you're never going to see that in that sort of fashion yeah. anywhere else. No, no, it's true. So like, yeah, it it's, really it's on the bucket list for me. The yeah. symbolism was amazing. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and again, I don't think that would have happened five years ago. No. Mm. To the extent and it did. The thing that we were questioning Millie on, which I think is really interesting, is all of the companies that have changed their logo to be rainbow mm. in recognition and celebration of pride. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. some people's view is that it's just elevating their own kind of agenda Mm-hmm. and saying, look at us, we're really diverse, when that might not necessarily be the case. Mm-hmm. But what I like about it is it almost isn't, it's like normal to have a logo change in July. Yeah. I yeah. quite like that it's just so widespread. Mm-hmm. It's not just one company who's being like, oh yes, look at us. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. everyone, yeah. 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 virtually. Yeah. And I think that's really, really good. Yeah. And also, even if it was them sort of trying to like push their own yeah. self selfish motives. Even yeah. if that was true, yeah. what you have is the endorsement of yeah. this social cause by yeah. these, these massive Absol- companies. Yeah, and completely. That sort of it's like when you hear, it's like you hear if they donate large sums of money to charities, and you're like, okay, well they may be doing that to make themselves look good, but actually. 
this charity's benefited from yeah, that. So totally. actually, I think that's yeah, yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, the only sort of downside would be if that particular company had done something to actively harm yeah. this yeah. demographic, gay people or black people, whatever. Yeah. Right? That's the only time when I'd be a bit sceptical. Mm. Otherwise, some, someone's going to benefit from this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just yeah. giving it a platform and elevating it. And I think it's a really special thing to experience in London in yeah. particular. It was mm. fab. The first figure this week is Muhammad Ali, or formerly he was known as Cassius Clay, um, or Cass Cassius Clay Jr. actually. Yeah. Um, and he is an iconic figure, um, not just in sport, not just in boxing, not just in America, but in the world, right? Mm. And he, he changed so many people's lives uh, through his principled um, stances on things. And that's who we're going to be discussing today. Mm. Um, I think. I think this, this story works if we go chronologically. Yeah. And we start in, I think it's Louisville, Te Kentucky, in like the mid-1940s. 1942. Uh, 1942. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a child called Cassius Clay who's born. Now, the context that matters here is this is a black guy um, who's been born uh, in Louisville, Kentucky yeah. in 1942. Yeah. There are better times to be born a black guy, better places as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and so he's, so that's the context. And then also the context with him is also in 1942, you're midway through the Second World War. Mm. Um, and sort of because of your, you're coming out of a period where there have been loads of world wars and loads of national governments have spent loads of money on technology and military and stuff, we're, we're getting technology like uh, sort of uh, aeroplanes, we're getting Tenet. the ability, that's literally yeah. hit the nail on the head, yeah. the ability to broadcast TV events to yeah. millions of people. Um, and totally. remember those things because mm. This yeah. guy, Muhammad Ali, is going to utilise them a lot in his life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I found... What an amazing intro. Yeah, amazing <laughs> intro. Totally foster. Um, no, um, I found actually researching him really moving. I found that I just thought, oh my gosh, I actually didn't know so much about Muhammad Ali as um, I thought I should have. I'd, my mum always spoke about him when I was younger and I didn't really understand the significance of why until... Yeah. researching him I can't believe how ignorant I was over this and amazing man amazing. until literally <sighs> pretty much today yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I had no idea that he uh, he didn't participate in the Vietnam War yeah. Yeah. no idea about that yeah. and then had to had to be um, stri stripped of his titles yeah and yeah. couldn't compete for I think five years yeah. four or five years and appealed a five-year prison sentence as mm. well Whoa. Mm. Um, and that was his pr he was in his prime when yeah. he was because he I think he won his first gold medal in the Rome Olympics in 1960 when he was mm -hmm. 18 years old. Oh and my gosh. I, I listened to this amazing podcast um, by BBC Radio 4, Great Lives. And oh, I listened to that as well. Yeah, yeah. Nicholas yeah. Stern on Muhammad Ali. Such a good episode. Yeah, and he tells really this story about how, um, and you can hear the recording from the interview from himself after he won his gold medal. He mm. said, you know, I thought I'd be able to go downtown and, you know, eat with everyone else. And he was refused entry to this yeah. um, restaurant because, wow. he, because he wasn't white. Yeah. And um, apparently he got so angry that he um, threw his medal into the river. Wow. I didn't no, know no, but the end of yeah. that story is that they said, we don't serve Negroes. Yeah. And he said, I don't eat them either. <laughs> In that he basically just turned this awful it, thing yeah. into a joke. Yeah. But that was one of the reasons why he refused to join um, the military. He's like, I'm not going to defend a country yeah. that doesn't that doesn't want me or like that doesn't believe but he also yeah. said that he didn't have a problem with Vietnamese communism right mm, mm, and mm. that's why he said 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he took a really principled political stance on a lot of things. And actually, I didn't, I hadn't heard that story you just mentioned, Georgia, yeah. and it puts into perspective some of the decisions he made going um, further on. But I want to, you mentioned he the other thing that we shouldn't just skirt over. <laughs> yeah, he, won a, he won a gold medal at 18, right? Yeah. yeah. He's already four years ahead of me and probably a lifetime because I'll probably never win a gold medal. But <laughs> 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 it's crazy. I, I hold out hope. For my so at 18, four years ago, yeah. relative to my, my age, he's won a gold medal. Yeah. And it says, if I ever want to be, bo um, if you ever want to be heavyweight boxing champion of the world, you have to win a light heavyweight gold medal at 18. So probably not going to happen. Um, but that's huge, huge. Um, no, no, definitely never. <laughs> never say never. But yes, um, one question so, I wanted so to cool. ask, what's the difference between, um, is it just in weight? So light heavyweight, it's just the weight of yeah. the boxer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if he's 18, when he was older, I think he was in heavyweight, so he might mm -hmm. just Grew yeah, you just literally, yeah. Literally. Okay. And yeah, then yeah. you just entered in different kind of competitions. Do people do it strategically that they might not necessarily want to be part of the top category? So then they make sure that they don't put on weight yeah. so that they're in the lower one. Yeah. Um, okay. I think what uh, a lot of boxers do is they or, or their trainers usually their trainers come up with these ideas and these uh, these plans mm. is they maybe they want to be in the uh, light heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. um, but what they what they would do is they would walk around at heavyweight, like size and weight, um, and then sort of in in the lead up to the fight they'd lose loads of weight, so they were really light. Um, there's obviously a, a, a spectrum here, so you can't go too far so that you have no more power. Yeah. But it is uh, quite common that uh, people will go into the the weight class just below, uh, just to give themselves yeah. a bit of an advantage. A, a boxing coach told me, and bear in mind I walked out around at about 85, 86 kilos at the time. He said, we're going to get you into shape, we're going to make you a professional fighter, you're going to have to go down to 68. <laughs> oh <laughs> my like, god. I was like, uh, mate, I like chocolate too much, <laughs> I like burgers, I like calories, I like food. What? I was like, this is, this is unrealistic. That is, that is ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm going to get you into shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's actually, I think um, there are benefits to just having less. <laughs> Muscle obviously weighs so much more than fat. So yeah. by yeah. training more, you're gonna get heavier. That's crazy. Yeah. That's <laughs> a really hard balance. See, though. Yeah, exactly. You've got you've hit the nail on the head. It's a balance. Um, and then the difficulty is actually, even if you're putting on muscle from training the whole time, ultimately that your calorie burn training for a boxing fight is insane. insane. Like Anthony Joshua eats, he said he says like oh. five thousand calories a day. Obviously he's a heavyweight, right? Yeah. Well, but like in yeah. terms of the amount of energy you're burning. Michael Phelps is ten thousand. Know, is it ten thousand? Like no. Yeah, he's What's like, he saying, Bolt? Why does he eat so many chicken nuggets? <laughs> <laughs> Probably to get more calories, right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um, but um, just quickly going back to Muhammad Ali, because I wanted to quickly touch on why, why and when he changed his name. And I didn't realise that he changed his name, um, I think it was in 62, um, so he would have been 20. And he says that um, he didn't want to be called Cassius Clay because he called it his slave name. And, um, oh, and, right, he, and he changed his religious views, so he joined Islam. And Muhammad Ali basically means beloved of God. Mm. Um, again, I didn't realise the context of that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until my research this, yeah. this weekend. I mean, massive, right? Massive. massive. Imagine he's younger than we are now. Yeah. yeah. And he changed his name. Yeah. And, and, and converted to Islam, right? That's huge. Most people go their whole lives and never do anything no. of this no. sort. And they and also don't want a gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy's just showing us up, right? Like, yeah. At every time, he's just <laughs> like, he's showing everyone up, just being like, look, I'm. Good. He's, and the, and 
if you start because we started the story as early as we did, it's clear how pivotal and massive mm. a, a figure this guy is. Mm. Um, because at such a young age, he was leading. He was um, showing people um, what you know what he mm. thought, and he didn't care. You know, right. it was massive. Yeah. he didn't care. Um, he actually apparently he first uh, first clashed with Martin Luther King because obviously they were both activists at the same time mm. and apparently he disagreed because he didn't want to live with people who didn't want to live with him because obviously Martin Luther King encouraged integration and the white blacks going to live side by side and he said I don't, I don't, mm. don't want to live with them yeah. You know? yeah and I thought oh my god that's so human of him to like that would have been my initial reaction of I don't know I just thought wow that's such a again knows what he wants, knows what he wants to say, doesn't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. And then obviously, as the years went on and um, as the 60s progressed, then of course they very much joined forces in, in their activism. And there's yeah. really nice, um, love, I saw these telegrams that they sent each other, especially when Martin Luther King was in prison, um, Madeline Lee wrote to him. And that was really lovely to, yeah. to see yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, I think that's a, another massive side to the early story is what he did for black power and rights in America. And globally, I suppose. Oh, like, gosh, yeah. he's been a, he's been huge in that respect, and I think, like a lot of people, will, will a lot of historians, a lot of people who lived at the time would say actually, him along with a lot of the other crucial figures like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, without each other, they don't have the yeah. effect that yeah. brings about today's yeah. society. Exactly. Absolutely. So massive. Um, and again, I didn't make that link as clearly as I feel like I should have because yeah. I knew about Martin Luther King, I knew about Malcolm X, obviously Malcolm X and. The controversy about Malcolm X and kind of combating violence with violence with mm, Martin Luther mm. King, Muhammad Ali again adds another dynamic, yeah. which is really important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I kind of can't believe that he was only twenty two when all of these things started yeah. taking yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he also apparently later on in his life um, made several trips to Cuba, North Korea, Afghanistan, and South Africa as a gesture of goodwill and wanting to sort of go, I guess, as a political and a sort of celebrity by that point, mm -hmm. um, to sort of represent peace in America and, and wow. all of those sorts of things. And, um, and also in apartheid with Nelson Mandela yeah. and yeah. You know, yeah. bridging wow. that gap too. So there were yeah. so many aspects of him that yeah. I didn't really mm -hmm. know and then much about. The huge thing is, right, up until mm -hmm. this point, what we've discussed is Muhammad Ali the man, right? Yeah. We've only talked about the one gold medal that he won okay. at 18. That's what I And we said nothing about. about his actual sporting ability, which yeah. is as impressive mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a sporting context as the things what that he did outside. What do you think made him such a good boxer? Um, the, this is why he's such a, a huge story and a huge iconic figure, is because even when I talk about his boxing, it wasn't just his boxing. So if you look to his first fight, I'm mean not his first fight, his first, like, sort of, uh, when he wins his first titles against Sonny Liston, mm. who is an intimidating character, who has a criminal past, who has mm. links to the mob, right? And you've got this kid, you know, Cassius, at this point he's Cassius Clay, mm -hmm. and he has no chance in the world of winning this fight. There's, I think the odds are like seven to one, um, I read, or something like that. Um, and then he trash talks so much, he gets in the mind of his opponent so much that Sonny Liston is, I'm, I'm pissed, <laughs> I, I want to damage this kid, I want to I I yeah. do damage and I want to fight this kid, and he's angry, and this is, you know, this is an, the intimidating story and character of Sonny Liston. And so the fight um, happens, and Sonny Liston goes in to do exactly as um, um, Cassius Clay at the time had goaded him to do, go in and try and knock his head off. Mm. And 
it played perfectly into his hands because he could use his, his youth, his speed, his mobility to sort of dance around Sunny Liston and eventually take the win. Yeah. So what, what I described there is a whole package. It's an ability within yeah. the ring, but also a psychological ability yeah. to control your opponent and control the next move that they're going to make. And it wasn't the first time he did it, you know, he did it against that's really Jeff Frazier and other people as well. Do you think well. that's the sort of mindset you need to be to be that successful an athlete? Do you think all athletes in all areas of sport have that mentality? Obviously, there are differences in terms of, you know, if you're swimming, you're not going to be necessarily one-on-one -on -one with someone. Mm. But do you need to have that mentality of being able to get inside the head of your opponent and having that compete? That, that you yeah. want it so yeah, much yeah, yeah. that it's kind of just extension of who you are? I think so, definitely. I think, I think definitely in boxing, mm. um, and if you wanted to, if I wanted to be a, 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 have a bit um, less of a burden, maybe in sports, full stop. But 100%, if you're going into a ring against, he was going into a ring against George Foreman at one point, yeah. and this is from the grills, yeah. <laughs> as we all know. Yeah. Um, and what, at the time, he's described as the hardest punch in heavyweight boxing history, right? And you're going into the ring against this guy, mm. and Muhammad I'm Ali. So scared. Uh, as, as would any, as would any normal human being, right? As yeah. would anyone yeah. with uh, oh that was God, normal. Terrified. But we're obviously not talking about a normal human no. being here. No. We're talking about Muhammad Ali, right? So he, so in that fight, he invites George Foreman to punch him more, which surely not, right? <laughs> surely mm. not. Um, and he uses it to his advantage. And I think the mentality is necessary, particularly in boxing. Mm -hmm. In boxing, where actually, if you doubt yourself, the consequence isn't sort of conceding a goal or you know losing a point in a tennis yeah. match is getting knocked out right yeah, yeah, so yeah. you the particularly are uh, absolutely <laughs> just yeah. a bit just the a bit right like you're not just going to lose a goal you're going to lose like teeth yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly, exactly. Yes. And, yes. you know well, i think the mental strength of sports is so interesting we touched on this last week with Djokovic, and yeah. i think i found out something with the penalty shootout with england mm. that mm. apparently they've had training for penalty shootouts that they haven't had to the same extent before uh, and that yeah. they had yeah. the kind of mental ability to keep going keep doing it mm. and that actually could have made a massive and like obviously yeah. Yeah, yeah, huge yeah. impact yeah. on how they performed in their matches well, so yeah. you say that because i've seen the past england have not always won the yeah shootout, such a ma and i think they've really pinpointed yeah. that and they've filled that with mm. extra yeah. It's strength and conditioning fun fact for your about, like, brain. Yeah, no, and fun fact <laughs> about that is that, um, so you know the coach for the England team, Gary... Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate, yes. <laughs> Apparently M&S have had a 30% spike in waistcoats. <laughs> oh, I love that fun fact! <laughs> I'm just going to put that in there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, I love that everyone's just going to buy waistcoats. I know, because they're seeing him with... <laughs> Um, when did you start boxing and why? Good question actually. I so my history of boxing is I before I boxed I did Muay Thai, which is oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Na native to I think Thailand. Um, and it uses they say it uses um, more limbs than boxing, so eight limbs. So you can use elbows and they count and um, fist count and knees count oh, um, cool. and okay. legs count. Um, and so I started doing that. Um, and I did that for um, with actually really cool projects called Fight for Peace, um, mm. and they they operate out of in sort of Brazil and sort of areas of East London, and it's a similar similar brief to debate box actually. And mm. the, the idea is um, sort of giving people a, a place to channel their energies basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did a bit of Muay Thai, um, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was great. But, and then I went to sort of in the lead up to university and at university um, because I'd done Muay Thai and people like my mates would see me in the gym. They were like, you might 
as well as try a bit of boxing. It's pretty much the same thing. You just can get less with get hit with less things. Let's um, <laughs> live. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't like getting kicks in the face with by a knee or something like that. Um, so I was, I was I moved sort of towards boxing, and the reason. Um, to be honest, it was I had uh, I I was proficient um, at, to begin with. Um, I have a very good advantage in boxing, actually in life, in that I'm left-handed, um, and it's a massive <laughs> oh, advantage wow. in sport because all sports people, or the vast majority of sports people, they train to compete against people who are right-handed, um, and so because they they train to um, fight and compete against people who are right-handed, they're just completely unprepared when a left-handed person. Oh, wow. So like a southpaw like me, even if you were a decent orthodox right-handed fighter, would cause you even it would cause you problems in terms of in terms of computing, um, like how to react to the things I'm doing. You've just never seen it before. Mm. So because I, I just uh, I was like, this is quite fun. Yeah. Um, I'm wow. Good at this and I, that's really cool. Yeah. I also wanted to share on that note how Muhammad Ali started boxing because I really mm -hmm. like this story. Oh yeah, that's a great story. So apparently he had his bike stolen mm. and he went to the police. Age and 12. He, and he said, when that person, when I find that person who stole my bike, I'm going to beat him up. Mm. And then the police said, well, you should probably, you know, do you know how to fight? Like, Do you know how to box? And Muhammad Ali was like, no. And then he learned how to box nice. after that. Yeah, yeah. It's called Joe Martin. And he yeah. credits Joe Martin, who's the police officer who introduced him sort of in a very weird roundabout way. Wow. To boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And also very, it could, that very easily might not have happened. Totally. All it takes is for his bike not to get stolen or yeah. uh, was it Joe Martin? Yeah, Joe Martin, To not the suggest officer. that, yeah. to have like, done something else. Um, yeah. And we, we wouldn't And then think here. about the platform that he's given to so many other issues because he was a boxer. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is what I really love about loads of sportsmen and just celebrities in general, is, is that they can become incredible at their niche, mm. sport, platform, whatever it is, but then they can take a stance on political things yeah. and they can give a huge amount of money to charity and they can start their own charities. And there's so many other things that come yeah, yeah. from Absolutely. one moment, yeah. as you said. Yeah. And that's why yeah. Muhammad Ali is so yeah. giant, is because he Absolutely. did that And he so kind of started, yeah. I feel like he kind of paved the way for that because he was so huge in yeah. terms of his how much of an icon he was especially for civil rights yeah, yeah. and now you know we spoke about Djokovic last week but Drogba like they all have their own foundations mm. and that's really cool that mm. they're able to then put so much money in mm. well I think all of the contemporary names in boxing Oscar De La Hoya for how many how many people watched his fights yeah. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather for how much they trash talked all of this yeah, stuff so much the genesis is the way Muhammad Ali um, gathered the attention that he yeah. did, and all of these yeah. guys are pretty much just imitators in in, like, yeah. in reality um, to what he did. Um, so that's why he's such a giant. Wow! Oh my gosh! I've it's got amazing. one final question, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with my question, so I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> um, is there a contradiction in a boxer refusing to fight for his country? Ah, interesting. Good because obviously he fights, that's what his sport is. Yeah. And then he refuses to fight in the but, Vietnamese but, but sure, war. But surely it's part, he's in Vietnam, it's, it's what are you fighting for? You're fighting mm. for freedom, fighting for freedom, fighting for your country. Yeah. He doesn't agree with a lot of what the country is yeah. uh, doing and promoting and how they're treating mm -hmm. like, you know, his, his family members. And he's, he's like, I don't want to shoot my brother, who yeah. he considers you know, the other soldiers in Vietnam. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Whereas I mean, in the boxing ring, you're kind of there. 
for yourself and your fighting for something. Also, you know, obviously for you want yeah. to progress your career, and you know, maybe several reasons as to why you're fighting. I just think it's an interesting thing to yeah. consider. Oh, definitely. I think yeah, definitely. I think because there is a prevailing sort of the idea in boxing is you should fight all comers. I think a lot, lots of boxers have gotten bad reps because it's the the perception has been that they've been dodging people and stuff like that. So as a boxer, there is just this in, in, inherent idea you should just fight. But I think it comes down to the specific nature and character of Muhammad Ali mm. in that he proved uh, or, or stated actually there are things that are more important than this yeah. um, and there are things that matter more and we should uh, we should focus on more than this this sport and he lived that and, and lost his titles for it mm. um, and so in a sense he proved that actually you know Mm. I'm, I'm I'd gladly turn back on what I'm trained to do as a boxer, um, if there are other things that just matter a bit more. Uh, and I buy it, I buy it as well, to be honest. No, definitely. Um, I just wanted to read one last quote, um, which was from Nelson Mandela, and this is about Ali. Mm. He says that he was an inspiration to me, even in prison, because I thought of his courage and commitment to his sport. I was overwhelmed by his gentleness and his expressive eyes. Ah. That's gorgeous. I've never heard that either. Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's actually probably one that. I also love that um, Muhammad Ali was the first person who, well, he came up with this, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. that was him. One of his best quotes, I think, was also is, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Yeah. Oh, it's such a, this so guy is a, he's a walking inspiration, he isn't is. he? He is. Oh, um, he really, really he's is. also he he was the the first person to do, to use the rope a dope um, boxing stuff, which is. I'll let you hit me if it doesn't actually hurt, and I'll tie you up. And then once you're tired, I'll beat you, effectively. Oh, um, I and I, he, he was the per he was the first one who properly uh, made that uh, like a viable um, and used technique, I think, or popularized it, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. The second figure that we are going to be discussing today is that when England loses a match, domestic violence is increased by thirty eight percent. When they win a match or draw a match, it increases by 26%. And that's in regards to the World Cup games. Yes. Yeah. And so this research was done at Lancaster University in 2013. And it's used for it's using data which is taken from the 2002, 2006 and 2010 World Cups. And it's been kind of released and promoted and published more this World Cup, I think because they wanted a platform to talk about domestic mm. violence, which is such a huge problem in the mm. UK. Um, but I think the first thing that I wanted to say about this from the articles that I've read and from my own opinion is that lots of people will correlate it. They'll go, football causes domestic abuse. This is not the case. Like Football no, 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 can no. become an excuse, yeah. which is one of many, and it yeah. becomes entangled with lots of other things, and then they've become linked mm. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you can see from this World Cup how heated everyone gets, how excited everyone gets, and I think it's just it's just something that's accentuating a problem that's already there. Obviously, it's obviously mm. not the cause. Mm. I also think, in the context of last year and all of the conversation around women and just general kind of safeguard, you know, and sexual assault and all of that stuff, I think that's probably why it's been given a bigger platform as it has been mm -hmm. um, this time round rather than maybe in the past, yeah. which is really good. Yeah, yeah. I think that the thing is you can never adjudicate and you can never really measure and control for the swings in mood that people um, will have from watching sport, right? So ultimately, 
it has to be a case of we have to get to a point in society where men accept that domestic violence is never okay. Yeah. And then you can be as happy as you want because England won, as sad as you want because England lost, mm -hmm. and you can manage not to beat your, your spouse, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I think, the, like, I, I agree with you, Charlotte, it, it's a case of we shouldn't necessarily, they are linked, like, yeah. by evidentially, we, we can yeah. see. Um, so research. we do have to analyse it, but I think the, the problem shouldn't necessarily be seen as football and violence, yeah. it should be like, let's solve domestic violence, mm. I think. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But what an interesting correlation nonetheless, which yeah. is why it's an interesting t statistic to, to, to bring up. Um, and I also think, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like domestic violence is one of those topics that is a massively taboo subject to talk yeah, about. I think it mm. is. And the reason is because it's so intensely personal and it's mm. so, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's so invasive of that person's life and their home life and they're probably, I don't, I don't know, I think it's filled with a lot of shame mm. surrounding it, which is yeah. why it's not really as openly spoken about as it really should be. Mm -hmm. mm. And the same in terms of like gender pay gap, for example, even the conversation around it and opening up that conversation is enabling so many more people to think actually yeah. that's what's gone it wrong is. here in mm. the past and I think with domestic violence I think that should definitely mm. follow suit and the charities such as Refuge which I think is a domestic abuse charity and helping people who've been affected by that they've been talking about what they want to do is just raise awareness for it so that people are actually going to help when yeah. they hear something that's going mm. on and they think it's wrong yeah. or they mm. see something or they suspect someone or someone's been changing their behaviour and they're not as confident or they just yeah. look something, you know, you always get a feeling. You always mm. know if something isn't Absolutely. quite right yeah. and so many people will just not do anything about it because mm. it, is, it can be really scary. You don't mm. want to do something, but we need to actually all stand up and do something to help these people because otherwise it's not going to make a difference. Yeah, mm. for definite. I, I think it's all loads of different stakeholders and, and different like groups of people in society have to like sort of do their part here yeah. so there's one thing in like so if you feel the person who sees uh, or, or hears something definitely but also i think the government and the police have to take these issues like seriously yeah. i think there's there is too much and too often it's um, it's dismissed as a petty crime or mm -hmm. you know an ongoing crime and therefore not something that needs to be uh, funded or, or, or address and pursued. So I think it just it just takes movement from loads of different um, people and factors yeah, um, for, for change to and come And Theresa May has actually done quite a lot around this and is continuing to do so. And really interestingly, um, Scotland passed a bill earlier this year which is making psychological and emotional abuse part of domestic abuse mm. and that will be treated in a similar way. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is just really groundbreaking because yep. that is so groundbreaking yeah so when we, all the research says that this psychological abuse such as limiting your bank account or saying we will have meals at this time and just this controlling behavior that can mm. become in some ways worse than mm. physical abuse but it's not recognized under the law yeah and, the part yeah, of and now this is actually part of it which is incredible and the way that they judge it is um on a reasonable person test mm. so they have this thing and they say would a reasonable person do this would a reasonable person say you are not allowed to drive your car or whatever mm -hmm. it is and obviously a reasonable person normally is going to say no and, and i think a really um massive part in terms of the education around domestic violence especially in the terms of the emotional control yeah is that um apparently now in schools um i was reading a few articles on this which i will link in our in the description um is that apparently kids are now taught at school apart from the national curriculum sex and relationship education which 
um, is talking about all of these topics in terms of like what is a healthy relationship, what sort of behaviours do you expect from yourself, what time do you expect from other people, the respect aspect that kind of goes along with that because I don't think anyone really yeah. knows what manipulative or emotional manipulative behaviour even is yeah. uh, when yeah, you're yeah. young unless you kind of have experienced it yourself and the emotional manipulati manipulation can so easily lead on to phys physical violence mm. Mm. and by spotting those cues early on is really important. Yeah. yeah, and I think crucially actually is as the individual in a relationship it's going to be very difficult to properly compute and calculate about oh, yeah. all of these things right yeah. so that's why this sort of this idea of like going into like at a younger age in school mm. and that sort of thing um getting the sort of the state and the police to help and make it a better process yeah. is massively important we cannot leave it to the victims ultimately no. because you know it's so it's no, a difficult a thing yeah. to do right yeah, yeah. um and so every all the cogs around domestic violence have to mm. be put into place to avoid it, I think. I think part of it is actually admitting that we have a problem, and this is part of this stat, and which is, I, in some ways I think that it it's can give football, it can exaggerate a bad rep that football can have in some people's eyes, but mm. I think it is really important to talk about it, because if we don't admit we have a problem, we're not going to be able to look, yeah. like, look at the solutions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best storylines um, I saw around domestic violence, and I know I've said this too many times, is um, a show called Big Little Lies, which was very... Yeah. Have you seen this, by the way? Is this the, the CBBC, like... <laughs> no, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> um, it's an American... So it was originally a book. It was produced by uh, Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, who basically clubbed together in order to make get it made because there were so many interesting themes that came up in mm. it, one of them being domestic violence. One character has a really interesting storyline around it, and it's so powerful. Nicole Kidman is incredible in her portrayal of that victim state. And Alexander Sarsgaard is also amazing, um, who plays her husband, and she, they won so many awards, and it mm. was very big. But I thought that that was so great in, in opening a conversation, and I think that's really cool. We see that more and more mm. now, and that took two very powerful women to say, actually, this is something that we need to get made. Um, mm. There was a whole backstory as to how difficult they found it, and obviously, you know, yeah. different producers turned them down. Um, and it was so difficult to watch, but at the same time, you could just think, oh my gosh, you can so understand why someone wouldn't like necessarily even see this creep up on them at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was just so good. I just thought that was such a powerful yeah. representation of, to watch of that storyline. It was Although so I'd good. I have to pick no. the right, right moment to watch it, though. No, it's, 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 I would recommend the show to anybody. It's okay. not just female it's been to on a female audience for a long time. It's really yeah. good. It's also not that long. I think it's only six episodes of 40 minutes. I think that film and TV and those sort of shows in general can be so such an incredible vehicle to open up these conversations. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. did you guys see I, Tonya? Yeah. I didn't actually. This Margot Robbie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't see that actually. Really, really good. And kind of relates to what we're talking about with boxing as well, because yeah. she, Athlete. after this yeah. scandal over um, another ice skater who ended up breaking her knee and then wasn't able to compete, um, Tonya Harding was kind of drawn into this scandal. Who knows mm. what happened? But she was given a lifetime ban from mm. ice skating, which was basically the most horrible thing that they possibly could have done. It was the yeah. biggest punishment. Yeah. I mean, it would. she would mm. rather have done several years in jail or community mm. service rather mm. than have her, you know, one life 
sport taken yeah. away and she ends up becoming a boxer after oh, that. Oh wow, I didn't know that, yeah, yeah. But they show the domestic violence and abuse in that film in a very confronting way. Mm. Yeah. And something that they also do is that they break the fourth wall, I think it's called, where yeah. she talks to the audience. Talks to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I've listened to a few interviews with her and she said that that was the way that they tried to make it slightly more watchable mm -hmm. because it brings the people who are watching in and it's just like it's fine it's okay mm. yeah. you can keep watching this yeah yeah mm. it's really really interesting I think, yeah i think you're you're right if you when you when you say actually tv is a massive tastemaker and it control it, it mm. controls people's minds with love island you can tell the, 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 <laughs> what the minds of the nation are on yeah. it yeah. at least it took us a good 25 minutes to wrap to, <laughs> <laughs> to the last week i mentioned it i'm like oh, i was taken over my life <laughs> no but it's it's, uh, it's symptomatic of how much TV is absolutely it's evidence of the general mind state of society, but also causes the general mind state of society. Mm -hmm. And I think the with the Me Too and all of this and these things that have happened have happened, we're getting more of an opportunity to hear the yeah. stories from yeah. women who have been victims of yeah. general violence or yeah. of general violence, domestic violence, right? Mm -hmm. Or you know stories that have been pushed to the side for a long time yeah. um, and actually it can only really be a good thing and I think even though it's like quite harrowing quite difficult yeah. and mm. topic I think pe the you know audiences will react and mm. respond well in your opinion do you think that that enthusiasm that the English fans have or any fans in football mm. specifically does that cross a line yeah well so I think the, f the first thing to say is the camaraderie that comes with being a fan in football is huge mm. um, and you can have a lot of fun just going to the match and you know with people you know sometimes people you don't know and being drawn together by this common uh, this common interest in yeah in a, in a team right um a sense of community that yeah, you don't get hundred percent yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously everything will there has to there has to be a limit right um, and what you need is there needs to be uh, a point where you're like people have gone too far and I think in some respects you could say uh, football fans do do that uh, you know English football fans have been notorious for it in the past I think they, we've definitely got better um, but in the last week uh, there's pictures after England won of England fans jumping onto paramedic uh, vehicles and writing them off the road um, pictures of victims of uh, being, people being uh, who have had bottles, uh, glass bottles thrown at them in the crowds, and that's a that's a good example actually. England scores a goal. You're in a crowd full of people, and a few people have a beer in a beer in their hand, and there's not much left. And the person with the beer in their hand is obviously, well, potentially has, has said, you know, I'm going to do this, and it's not actually going to harm anyone. Yeah. They're not thinking it through. They're not thinking it through. And, mm. and that, that's happening. That's unacceptable. Mm. So in that respect, it's definitely gone too far. And then that's one way you could look at it is this person hasn't thought it through. The other way is you could say this person has kind of thought it through, but they're in, uh, they're in a state where they're with all of their mates. There is mm. this sort of... Uh, it's like a mob know, mentality. Yeah, exactly. A mob yeah, mentality. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's what lots of... Well, what I've been reading this week, um, like victims of domestic abuse actually find so terrifying is that if they have had that association of their dad or stepfather or whoever it is coming back home, they've had lots to drink or they've yeah. been betting and then maybe mm. they lost the bet as well as England losing. And they are so scared of football crowds, yeah. even several years later, yeah. because yeah. they have that mental association. And and just, but even, yeah. I mean, crowds anywhere can yeah. be really scary. Mm. If you mm. don't want to be... 
in there at the wrong moment yeah. and I think that that can become part of football as well mm, mm. Absolutely. and it's, it becomes ultimately a question of uh, it, I don't see how we could avoid people having fun and, and, and watching no, not football at all, yeah. but I think it's about changing the, the culture in the mind of the individual so that even if I'm with a group of my, way, my mates watching the football mm. I'm not just going to com act completely out of character and you know do things that would just be unacceptable if I did it you know on in, on Blackfriars Bridge on a normal Wednesday or something right mm. yeah so the third figure that we're going to talk about this week is an image of Jennifer Lawrence in a Versace dress during a press call for her film Red Sparrow, which came out in February, and you can see on the image that she's with the rest of her cast, um, who are male, and there was a lot of controversy around this image in particular for a few reasons. Um, I think one of the most obvious ones is that a lot of people were asking why was she wearing such a revealing outfit in London in February when the rest of the cast were buttoned up in winter coats. Um, and I think the other criticism was why did she feel the need to wear, wear such a revealing outfit, especially in the context of the Me Too, Time's Up uh, I guess atmosphere. atmosphere that was really, really heavy in February after, after everything kind of kicked off with Weinstein at the end of October last year. Yeah. Um, and I remember personally hearing people talk about that and, and why she felt the need to wear such a revealing outfit and the sort of judgment around that and I just felt very strongly that mm. that's the exact thing that we need to stop doing yeah is that criticizing of other women if I if I take Georgia your summary of it and I look at the initial line of what is she doing wearing a revealing dress in London in February that that's just stupid right uh, I don't think that makes any sense she's Jennifer Lawrence she can do whatever she wants yeah. if, she, if she's not Jennifer Lawrence she could probably do whatever she wants right um, and it's, it's entirely up to her Absolutely. Um, the, and so initially when I sort of get that sort of point of view I'm just kind of like this isn't really this is a non-event yeah. she's she's completely completely right but then you get the angle of the me too mm -hmm. and what I as I understand that argument is people saying in the context of Harvey Weinstein and Me Too, we have momentum for women's rights. Yeah. Um, and because Jennifer Lawrence, you are this huge actor, this huge name, because mm -hmm. you're one of the highest, probably the highest grossing mm -hmm. women. And in, an activist yeah. around Me Too yeah, as well. And yeah. a feminist as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if that's the case, uh, the, what I imagine these people are saying is the onus is on you at this point to capitalise for women everywhere. And, yeah. and try to send a particular uh, uh, like message. Yeah. My only problem with that is pretty much what you say, Georgia, in that it's it's almost says the opposite of empowerment if she can't do what she wants. Totally. You know, it, it almost says the opposite of uh, you know Absolutely. you know women's choice if she can't do what she wants. So even if it was a good point to make a stand, probably the stand she makes is the bet is the better one in her deciding to you know do what she wants to do. So ultimately. I still don't, I think it's a non-event non in the sort of the, the mm. big um, reaction that everyone had to it. And mm. ultimately, I, I don't think uh, Jennifer Lawrence deserved that much yeah. um, mm. stick for it. I completely agree. I completely agree. But I think what is awful that this exposed so much is how toxic women can be to other women mm. and mm. how people who call themselves feminists can be towards other people who also identify yeah. as feminists. Yeah, yeah. And it's just 
why would we spend so much time and energy knocking everyone down? Mm -hmm. And that's just reinforcing what we're trying to get away from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was such an ironic, bizarre... It's such a non-topic. Like, literally, it is so unimportant to, to focus all our energy on that. Yeah. But it's almost so human to sort of try and, um, I guess, take see faults in others, take that down, mm. try and feel as though you're right, and therefore you feel better about that. Or people who are sort of any kind of activist, or p parents, or everyone, everyone is just trying to do their best and to do what they want and what they feel is right. Mm. Yeah. And to have people constantly criticise for whatever it is, is just absolutely ridiculous and goes against everything so that we're backwards. trying yeah. to do. But also, let's imagine that we flip it round. So let's imagine that mm -hmm. this is a super famous male actor yep. who is topless yep. on a balcony in February in London, yep. and then he's surrounded by several girls in coats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would there have been a media storm around that? Probably not. No, we're just gone. they would nice They would have been like, <laughs> lovely chiselled body, thank yep. you very much. Yeah, like, great job on the baby oil. Like, yeah. that's yeah. basically <laughs> yeah. what they would have said. Challenge yeah. advertising that's, in that, That's 100% what would have happened. Um, yeah. And, again, uh, I feel like this is what we, what we just said, in that how are we supposed to come forward in terms of feminism, in terms of women being able to do what they want, if this is going to be the reaction to something so insignificant as wearing... Dress. Like, yeah. Remember, Lady Gaga's on a meat dress. Like, <laughs> like this is so not like that bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're really looking at you know. But what's so ironic is that yeah, dress dress now. like Lady Gaga was trying to make a political point yeah, with that she dress. Was. Yeah. was that yeah. saying that women are seen as pieces of meat, so yeah. we're literally going to put meat, meat on, on my body, which is <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Like, that must have smelled so <laughs> bad. Yeah. yeah. So bad. But I mean, she wasn't even trying to make a political point. No, yeah. she was just. And then there. she just yeah. ended up making one. Which wasn't really a point which she accidentally did. Mm. I just think it's so weird. I think bringing up Lady Gaga actually um, is relevant here because ultimately I think the fact that it was Jennifer Lawrence played a part here. I suppose, it, I think when you mentioned that she's an activist, maybe that played into it and people were like, well, you're an activist and all of this. But uh, ultimately, in the, in the age of Twitter, in the age of social media and that sort of thing, you can't get away with anything. And if people who disagree with you for their own ends think that they can get traction from being um, angry or, or, or disappointed in your actions, they will push it. And it, if you are wrong, it will gain traction and you could lose your job or whatever. Mm. Yeah. In this, on this occasion, it wasn't an event and she was fine. Mm. But I think mm. the, the fact that it was Jennifer Lawrence played a part. It's almost like yeah, trial by media thing, isn't it? Yeah. Which I think Lena Dunham has just had... You know, yeah. it was one of the examples of where we've seen that been really, really significant yeah. um, in terms of her career. Um, I'm wondering if this is why I confused Taylor Swift and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Massive trial by media. Yeah. So I think this is why I'm doing it, because mm. I think that they've both been people who have been so popular, have been so built up more and more and more and more and more, and then you just get yeah. this tear down. Yeah. 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 And I think it. that's why yeah. I'm linking the, media the two. Yeah. 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 I think amongst all of those names, those three names you mentioned, Lena Dunham, Jennifer Lawrence and Taylor Swift. Jennifer Lawrence is probably the most innocent in my head. I, I don't see what she's done to deserve mm. this. Like she's no. she's just mm. an actor. She was really successful. Mm. You know, she's done she's done some pretty good movies. We own her yeah. for like Silver Linings Playbook and all, all of this. Oh, yeah. these Hunger things. Games. Hunger yeah, Games. So I watched good. that with my sister. I'm glad you said it first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like ultimately, like I think 
she, like she, I don't see why yeah. there's this much um, dislike mm. and distaste yeah. for it. Yeah, but I think this is a point that lots of other people have made on several podcasts and I kind of see where they're coming from that there is this weird feminine thing that we just want mm. to you female like females can be successful to a certain point and then they'll reach a height and you'll go mm, no I think we're just going to knock yeah. you down a peg now mm-hmm. yeah. and, why, and why does that happen I yeah. just yeah. don't Selena Gomez even had that like yeah. so many successful Miley yeah. Cyrus even to a certain extent which is why she had that very weird phase of kind of trying to wrecking ball <laughs> like trying to get out of that because yeah. she was so famous as Hannah Montana and you know, she was so famous at such a young age and everyone mm. was just like, oh my God, you're going to be this young Disney star forever. Don't think that you're going to be successful mm. without it. Yeah. And she just kind of, you know, yeah. tried to smash her. But again, they love that sort of tear down. Yeah. Um, it's, and that's interesting why you confused Taylor Swift and Jeff <laughs> Rose. I, I think that's why. Taylor Swift to that point. I mean, she when she first started, she was this sort of very, like, innocent, just like country. did her country songs. No one really cared. Love the media story. didn't really care. It was just some great songs. And now, it's she's almost this... I don't know, there's almost this sort of hate for yeah. her. There's an yeah. undercurrent of this. Really undercurrent. I'm, I'm sorry, but, but why? I mean, I, not to, to name drop this experience, but I went to see her live two years ago. And she was, and I, you know, and I, I, um, I didn't really know what to expect, and, then, and I just absolutely loved it. If my daughter was there, I said this in one of the episodes, I'd be so happy to have her, you know, watch Taylor Swift. And, like, I don't understand where that comes from. Well, mm. with Taylor Swift, I, I think it's... Um, I, would talk, I would actually chat to people about this and it's this idea of uh, people assume or, or suspect that a lot of Taylor Swift's fans are Republican voters and genuinely really? I think people or, or also the, the sort of element of Taylor Swift sort of stays very apolitical um, yeah, she does. Uh, she does and that's what yeah. maybe her, a lot of young voters young, sorry, Republican voters in yeah, yeah, exactly. And so yeah. what people what people are, are saying with no necessary any evidence or, or like Taylor Swift admitting mm. to it, this this is just by um, mm. by way of just um, viewing things. People are assuming that Taylor Swift is deliberately apolitical in order to keep her fans. Yeah. And people are saying actually the politics of the United States, look who's in the White House, this is more important. You have yeah. to speak up. And I think a lot of the people who dislike Taylor Swift come from that camp. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Mm. Yeah, but even more interestingly, because you mentioned, Charlotte, this idea of women sort of getting at each other and not letting each other be, uh, you know, successful. be as, as successful. I think the answer to that is we've been conditioned to not think women can get to certain places yeah. and, and not pull them down. But also there's a question of, imagine there's a woman who is successful, but within their field, they are, um, they are arguably harmful. So someone like Theresa May, Right, where a lot of people, if you don't vote conservative, you might not think Theresa May is a good thing. But imagine you're a woman who doesn't vote conservative or whatever. Yeah. Should you pull her down, tear her down, or because she's a woman, yeah. should you support Same her? Same with Clinton. Same Hillary Clinton, yeah. another yeah, so good example true. of yeah. that, right? And ultimately, uh, is it's actually a difficult question of, yeah. uh, and yeah. and you should. I think Nicola Sturgeon had the best solution. She was like, doesn't matter what your politics are. I'm yeah. glad to see that young girls will be able to see that the two heads of states in Scotland and uh, yeah. the UK are women. Um, yeah. And irrespective, they, they don't agree on a lot of things, but yeah. she was she was happy to acknowledge 
how yeah, you know yeah. how important. Yeah. And I listened to this really good podcast with F for Hirsch actually, and I've just finished reading reading her book British. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really really uh, good, yeah. really interesting. Um, about kind of racial identity and history in Britain and how we need to acknowledge and learn about that and accept it and realise that we do have problems before we can find solutions. Kind of similar mm. to what we were talking about with domestic violence, actually. Mm. In the context of this podcast, the um, guy who was presenting it, I think it's called Dan Snow, um, was saying that he took his daughter to the uh, museum with loads of planes and kind of, you know, even astronaut stuff and all of this. And my goddaughter is the same. She's absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs and mm. space. Yeah, yeah. And this presenter's daughter was going around and saying, there are no women here. Mm. Mm. And it really affected her. And then the dad, the presenter, went home and Googled loads and loads of women who have done amazing things, but they weren't in the museum. Mm. And then mm. his daughter was so impacted by that. And she said, great, yes. I can do that. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that this is what is so important that when we have women leaders, that mm. is, it's, you can't be what you can't see. You can't be what you, mm. I was literally about mm. to say, mm. that's, yeah, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And that, the film um, Hidden Figures. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that. So good. Yeah, How yeah. is that not in the mainstream of terms of our knowledge? I mean, and that that is not just in NASA and in space, that's across yeah. every single industry. Yeah. Um, and that's the same you know, in terms of um, LGBT representation or any kind of, like, minority yeah. group, you cannot be what you can't see. And it's the same in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, of mm -hmm. his daughter not seeing any women. And actually, what what you eventually come to the conclusion is that actually there are loads of women in all of these different... Mm. These, it's not like... It's not it's necessarily not like they're like, all there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're all there. Yeah, they, <laughs> they do there. exist. Yeah. And it is a question of... And it goes back to what we were saying about the consciousness in TV and media. Yeah. Ultimately... The men are deciding what stories to tell and therefore the stories that are told are the stories yeah. for men, ultimately. Absolutely. Or the white men as opposed to the black men yeah. or whatever, whatever else, right? Yeah. And so it's, it is about choosing the stories wisely. And yeah. because we, we, we see, you yeah. know, we see women doing it every day. I'm mm. seeing you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> we, see, we see it all the time, right? But we just don't see it in... And we're not hearing about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And also just even, even though Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon are two leaders of Scotland and England, Bearing in mind that I think it's still only nine percent of the world is led by women in terms of yeah, politics. Yeah. And that was a quote from um, the Guilty Feminists, in which we had the leader of the Women's Equality Party talking about um, mm. women leadership. So just because we can see it in England does not mean that that's going to be true worldwide. Yeah, true, true. And actually, I think um, talking about sort of uh, women like worldwide being leaders, and we were talking about why, like, sort of women at the top being attacked, actually women leaders are probably the most likely for that to happen with. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we you're, you're not allowed Rodin to. In yeah. New yeah. Zealand who's obviously come under fire because yeah. she's taking maternity leave yeah. for the first time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and um, there was, I think, that very famous front cover of, I think it was even, actually so many newspapers about Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May meeting. And remember the- Oh my God, Lexit. 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 Oh, Lexit was the, was the title and it was just the photo of their leg. Like their, I thought, oh my God, if this was Trump and Cameron meeting, for example, or Obama and so Cameron, just debate yeah. that would be, ties that would be, the, that would never happen, yeah. ever. No. <laughs> I didn't actually see that. That is yeah. shocking. Oh, it's awful. Well, I want to say that's shocking, but maybe it's not. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. What do you think we can do to help this, where we have these images of women in a certain dress that they've chosen to wear, yeah, and then exit, <laughs> and then everybody yeah. tearing them down. Mm. I think, I think it's uh, at the root cause. I think a, a cultural change, and when I say cultural change, I mean 
like a shift in mind. So the kind of th this is the kind of thing that you have to um, develop in a young person mm. um, from early on, uh, and young people need to see the example, men as well as women, and maybe even more so, they need to see the example of women doing whatever they want and people not judging them for it. Um, and I think we've, we've all got to, we've got to a point in society where people have grown up and they've seen women being judged and told what to do, what role to play, what things to do, um, and not even just women, just loads of any minority um, group, yeah. and people have normalised it and it's people think that it's okay and the i genuinely i don't see it stopping unless the general masses uh, are taught differently we still need there's still like probably a generation or two we need to get to a time where we're not going to see jennifer after another Versace dress and pick at her we're not going to see legs yeah. it's not going to yeah you know tear that Theresa may for example again you know i you know whatever you think about her and her politics aside every single time she makes a, an appearance publicly always talks about her shoes, her outfit, mm. her hair. Mm. Same with Hillary Clinton. And she loves fashion, but yeah. that's not even part of, that yeah. shouldn't be part of the conversation unless yeah. she's actually being interviewed by Vogue, which mm. was super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. I, I really want it to just be about the person, not to be about their gender or their dress or their whatever it is or their political views or they're not political yeah. views it just although i think the with the vogue interview and theresa may actually she got loads of stick because apparently her leather trousers which i'm not a fan of i'll say that her leather trousers apparently cost like a grand or something and people yeah. were, basically the people the argument was that you can't be, be this yeah. visibly lavish yeah. when you've been responsible yeah. for so much in the way of cutting Although back do we, spending. We don't know how much but people how much spend suits, on suits. How much true, suits that is true. Yeah. Like, yeah. Honestly, I don't want to, you know... Oh, probably almost, probably the same. Gonna, I don't want to point fingers at all because I don't know any of this, but any of the other leaders across all the parties, we don't know what they cost because no one really talks about suits and how yeah. much they no, cost. They're all but yeah. I will say, obviously, as a vegetarian, I was super not happy with the, the, the trousers. You can, <laughs> get, you can get an amazing fake leather trousers that look <laughs> Like real leather, you do not need to have real leather, um, and that was my personal <laughs> opinion on that. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and thank you so much to Ade for joining us. Thank it's been you. so yeah, lovely anytime. to have you. Um, and hopefully we'll have more special guests, uh, but thank you so much for being our first, yeah. which is awesome. So as always, uh, you can email us at the thefigurepodcast at gmail.com and follow us on at figurepodcast on Instagram and on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. And if you're on Apple, please rate, review and subscribe. If you're on Spotify, you can follow. On Stitcher, you can do the same. And we will see you next week. See you next week. See you guys.